الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمد الشاكرين والصلاة والسلام على سيد المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه يجمعين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد طب القلوب ودوائها ونور الأبصار وضيائها وعافية الأبدان وشفائها وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على سيدنا محمد كلما ذكرك ذكرك الذاكرون وغفل عن ذكرك الغافلون today alhamdulillah we have congregated to discuss an important issue in terms of the social impact as well as the creedal uh, the creedal aspect of how this issue affects people spiritually as well as psychologically as well as communally meaning as a community how we are affected by false beliefs and how we can be affected by cults that may appear claiming that a leader of that particular cult is actually al-imam al-mahdi radiyallahu this issue is intrinsically linked to what we know as a khatmu nubuwa which is the finality of prophethood so i will divide my discourse into three segments the first segment will be a discussion on khatmu nubuwa what is khatmu nubuwa finality of prophethood the second segment will be a short history of different personalities that claimed prophethood as well as those personalities that claimed to be al-imam al-mahdi and the third segment will be the psychological reasons why such groups appear and how such groups may even become very influential in our community and not only in our community in other communities also so with regard to the first issue very simply stated in Al-Qur'an Al-Kareem Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Ma kana muhammadun aba ahadin min rijalikum walakin rasulallahi wa khataman nabiyyin that say that regarding Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa ma kana and is not Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam the most praised one the most praised one so the most praised one is not Aba ahad min rijalikum a father of any one of the men amongst you this the backdrop was that people claimed regarding Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam that once he passes away his name will finish his remembrance will finish because he has no male inheritors so the quran tells us this praised one is not one is not the father of any one of the men amongst you because even adopted sons adopted sons the concept was finished and abrogated by the Quran Zayd radiallahu anhu was considered the son of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam but Al-Quran al-Kareem abrogated this practice 
and permitted the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to marry Zainab radiallahu anha, the cousin of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam who had married the adopted son of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. An adopted son was not the real son. So, and of course, uh, recently in the debate, the Christians made this a point of objection, which was, um, if you refer back, the response was given that Sayyidah Zainab was the cousin of the Prophet He saw her from childhood before the laws of hijab were revealed. And if he had to marry her, if he had fallen in love with her, he would have married her before who had married her. But the reason for the marriage and any one of the marriages, and this is something important that younger people should know, that non-Muslims attempt to poison the minds of uh, certain segments of non-Muslims attempt to poison the minds of young Muslims by saying your Prophet married multiple times as a point of objection but remember all the marriages the increase of marriages happened after the age of 50 and all of the wives of the Prophet they were either divorced women or widowers, with the exception of Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha. So when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi married Sayyidatuna Zainab radiallahu anha, this practice of adopting sons and considering them the real sons was abolished. So the Quran states, مَا كَانَ مُحَمَّدٌ أَبَا أَحَدٍ مِّن رِجَالِكُمْ That the most praised one is not a father from amongst any one of the men amongst you. وَلَكِنْ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ First description, however, he is the Messenger of Allah, meaning a, a magnificent status, a Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Of course, sometimes people have, meaning this issue of our differences with the school of the Obanda brought up, and people talk about certain unity, but a point cannot be forgotten or neglected, and that is that the way that the Obandis will make a point regarding what they call Barelvis, that sometimes you find ignorant people amongst the Barelvis who may uh, commit certain acts which are reprehensible innovations of Tawaf and kissing the graves and whatnot, ignoring the fact whether the scholars have condemned this or not, you find some ignorant people uh, within the Diobandi sect who will say things like, uh, there is nothing special regarding the Prophet ﷺ except he was a Prophet of Allah. Meaning this misguided, misguided way of, cons- cons- the misguided, and this happened to myself, meaning some people may say this is a rumor, I've had these type of discussions. This is a misguided way of thinking. Because Rasulullah, a title alone, meaning what that title entails, the khasa'is, the special qualities of the Prophet ﷺ and the shama'il, prophetic characteristics, that one title encompasses all of that. But the additional, uh, the what the Quran mentions, Finality of Prophets. Now, this uh, verse has two qira'at, qira'atain, khataman nabiyin and khatimin nabiyin. Finality of Prophets. This verse is explicit in its import and what it entails that the Prophet is the last of the Prophets. Uh, does, 
it contradict the fact that Isa salam will come after and descend? Does that contradict the verse? The answer is no, because this is a, an absurd ob- uh, objection some people bring up from time to time. The response is that the verse is negating any Prophet to appear after the Prophet But Isa salam, his announcement of Prophethood was made before. So his descent does not negate the verse. وَخَاتَمَ النَّبِيِّينَ Now, we look and analyze this verse. Firstly, from this verse, خَاتَمَ النَّبِيِّينَ Khatam is a, a seal, the seal of Prophets. Meaning the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa wasallam is the seal of Prophets. He seals Prophethood that no prophet shall come after him. And the word khatim would mean that he is the one who seals. Both of these qiraat do not contradict one another, meaning the meaning is totally acceptable both ways. Remember one of the mu'jiz of the Qur'an is that the various qiraat, they do not contradict one another. They in fact enrich the meaning, increase the meaning. What happened with uh, Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Qadiani, he came at the tail end of times. Prior to him, Musaylama al-Kazzab. Musaylama al-Kazzab was a man from Banu Hanifa, from the Najd region. The Najd region is the area from Al-Madina to Al-Munawwara. If you draw a line on a map and you, you go towards the east, it will reach Najd to areas like Riyadh and other areas. Of course, today the pseudo-Salafi movement would attempt to reinterpret the hadith where the Messenger of Allah sallallahu cursed the area of Najd. The area of Najd was cursed. They would say it's the region of Iraq. Even though from numerous hadith we know that the excursions and expeditions of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa were into the Najd district, the Najd region. So, Musaylam al-Kazzab forged a false Qur'an. He was a, a contemporary of the Prophet ﷺ. Initially, he came to visit the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. And the Messenger of Allah ﷺ saw a dream. In that dream, he saw some two bracelets. Two bracelets. And he was commanded to blow on the bracelets and the bracelets became untied, meaning the interpretation was the two false prophets that shall appear. After the passing away of the Messenger of Allah wasallam, the wars happened, the Ridda wars, the wars of apostates, meaning where Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq waged wars against the apostates, and the wars against the people, the followers of Musaylam al-Kadhab, meaning the history of cults uh, that Muslims had to fight historically. Meaning the cult of Musaylam al-Kazzab forged a recitation which he attempted to challenge Al-Quran al-Kareem with. Now Al-Quran al-Kareem is a mu'ajizah, a miracle that can never be encountered. For instance, they were challenged. وَإِن كُنْتُمْ فِي رَيْبٍ مِمَّا نَزَّلْنَا عَلَىٰ عَبْدِنَا فَأْتُوا بِسُورَةٍ مِّنْ مِثْلِهِ That if you have any doubt regarding this Qur'an, 
then bring a chapter mimithlihi something similar to the chapter but also one of the meanings is someone similar to Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam of course they were unable to imitate the Quran and they can never imitate Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam this of course gives us a different discussion which is imtina'u nadhir that there is no one similar to Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam that's a different aspect of the discussion but fa'tu bi suratin min mithlihi bring a chapter similar to this Quran or from similar someone similar to Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam what happened the initially 10 chapters similar to uh, the chapters of Al-Quran Al-Kareem, they were unable to counter. Then they were challenged to bring one chapter like the Quran, uh, from the chapters of the Quran. The shortest chapter of Al-Quran Al-Kareem, Everyone is familiar with this chapter. Three verses. Someone may think, what is miraculous about Three verses. Ten words, three verses, ten words, ten words with over thirty different meanings. Now I cannot expand those meanings now, but ten words. All they had to do is, if in English, if you get ten words, you compose ten words, and you give something so eloquent. Meaning, imagine if someone like Shakespeare in the time of Shakespeare. Remember the King James version of the Bible was translated in the time uh, of King James, uh, who was a contemporary of Shakespeare, because Elizabeth I had just passed away, and King James became the king, ascended to the throne. The most eloquent piece of literature in the English language, the King James Version of the Bible. At that time, if someone brought ten words composed of three verses and said, bring something similar to this, and someone of the likes of Shakespeare and the uh, group that King James commissioned to translate the Bible are unable to even counter this uh, challenge uh, to compose three verses of ten words and beat the eloquence. So the Quran was, they were unable to challenge the Quran. So even Musaylim al-Kadhab, when he composed these verses, they were recited to Sayyiduna Abu Bakr al-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq laughed at the man. He said, you believed him for reciting these types of verses. Now, the hatred for Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anhu has its roots amongst those earlier followers of Musaylim al-Kadhab. From that time when he led the wars of Ridda against, the, uh, and against Sayyiduna Khalid bin al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And the... What did they pronounce as mentioned in Al-Bidayah and Nihaya? That what would they shout? What was their slogan? Ya Muhammadah. Why would they say Ya Muhammadah? Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Because calling out to the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu alayhi wasallam, was to affirm the finality of the Prophethood. So they did not deem saying Ya Muhammadah shirk, polytheism or bid'ah, innovation. So the early roots of what became known as Ahl Sunnah Wal Jama'ah was found in that period of time that the, under the leadership of Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu he fought 
the claimants, false claimants to prophethood. So, when they were unable, there were other false prophets also. The Messenger of Allah foretold that after his time, more than 27 in one narration, and in another narration 30, false claimants of prophethood shall appear. Meaning, what that means is from the body of Muslims, a man will appear who was formerly a Muslim and then renegates from Islam and claims prophethood. So, Musaylim al-Kazzab was a claimant to prophethood even though he himself did not adopt Islam. But there were others who adopted Islam outwardly and then claimed prophethood like Mukhtar al-Thaqafi. <coughs> Mukhtar al-Thaqafi was a claimant to prophethood. Today there are people who have a, a shrine for Mukhtar al-Thaqafi in Iraq. They visit the shrine because they say he was a supporter of the Alul Bayt, the Ashraf, the, the progeny of the Prophet now even though if he was a supporter of the holy progeny of the Prophet initially he may have been a supporter, but later what he did was claim prophethood, this negates all that action. Like Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani initially debated Christians, was a supporter of Islam outwardly, but then later renegated from the, renegated from the religion. Now, from those claimants of prophethood was Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani from India. Now Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani, his cult uh, <coughs> today is very influential even within Britain and very influential within Pakistan also. And they have centers opened in various places of the world. They influence politics more than Sunni Muslims influence politics in certain arenas. For instance, lately when Donald Trump was told by an old man that in Pakistan the rights of minorities are not given, this old man was a Qadiani. And the man translating for him was the son of Salman Ta'seer. So the son of Salman Ta'seer is translating for a Qadiani that the rights of the minorities are not fulfilled in Pakistan. Politically, they have more clout than Sunni Muslims in these departments to such an extent that one American scholar said in his Aqidah Tahawiyah lessons that this Qira'atan, two recitations, Khatam and Nabiyin and Khatim and Nabiyin is an interesting point as if to allude that there is an open interpretation to this verse. As if to allude what? That there is an interpretation to this verse. There is no in- open interpretation. The verse is very clear that <coughs> after the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, no one, no new Prophet can appear. What did Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani interpret this verse as? What he interpreted the verse as is that he, now in discussion, in dialogue with the, with the pseudo-Ahmadi movement, they will tell you, we do not deny khatmu uh, nabuwa finality of prophethood. Meaning in a discussion with the layperson, they will say what it means 
is that a new prophet as a mujaddid, a reviver can appear after the time of the Prophet ﷺ, but he needs the approval of the Prophet ﷺ because the Prophet ﷺ is the one who seals him, stamps him with prophethood. So that would mean a new Prophet appears, he will say, I am a mujaddid, a reviver, but he, he is not negating the finality of prophethood because the finality of prophethood according to them means that the seal, sealing is done by the Prophet ﷺ. This is why they prefer the recitation of Khatiman Nabiyyin, the one who stamps the prophethood. But Khataman Nabiyyin means the Prophet ﷺ is the actual seal. Both are fine. But they prefer the recitation of Khatim and Nabiyyin. Of course, the American scholar, when he uh, made this mistake, he retracted after the fatwa was sent to him from Al-Azhar. But why did it need Al-Azhar's uh, fatwa when there is ijma' consensus, ijma' and the kufr, disbelief of Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani? There is ijma', meaning there, anyone who violates this ijma' commits disbelief. That why does a person need a modern Azhar fatwa when the scholars of the previous times have already uh, of all the Muslim scholarship from before. Once there is a consensus, the consensus cannot be violated. So this interpretation was adopted also. For instance, there's a book uh, published uh, in Mantiq by Fadlu Imam Al-Khairabadi, Rahimallahu Ta'ala. The father of whom, Fadlul Haq Khairabadi, famous book. What book is it? Al Mirqat in Mantiq in Logic. This book is taught in many Madaris schools, seminaries in Pakistan and India, Bangladesh, and even in the UK and many Western countries. In this book, this book now has been published with a commentary uh, which even Maktabatul Bushra publishes. In that commentary, uh, under Khat, where the in the khutbah, the opening chapter of that work, what is mentioned is finality of prophethood. In this commentary, one of the authors he writes that the meaning of uh, Khatmun Nabiyin is what that the Prophet is like the sun, and all the other stars attain their light from the sun, or Nabuwa is divided into two types. One is dhati, essential prophethood, and one is what? Uh, attained prophethood. Meaning, all the prophets attain their light from the light of the Prophet ﷺ. Outwardly, this interpretation seems fine. Outwardly, to the lay person. But someone with deep understanding will know this contradicts Al-Qur'anul Kareem. لَا نُفَرِّقُ بَيْنَ أَحَدٍ مِّن رُسُولِهِ that we do not make a distinction between what any one of the messengers. What does this mean? That Nabuwa is Zati in every prophet. And every prophet essentially is a prophet. Why did they had to why did they need to forward a theory that every prophet attains his prophethood from the Prophet? Because when a claimant of prophethood appears, he can say, I received this prophethood from the Prophet ﷺ. Like claimants today, which I will move on to the th in the third segment, why these types of groups appear.
So this is a summary of what Khatmun Nubuwa is. Finality of prophethood. That there is no prophet after the Prophet ﷺ. It does not involve time uh, in the sense that some people say, after the t- what I mean by this, they say, after the time of the Prophet ﷺ, these deviant people, they say, a prophet can appear. The answer is no. After the time of the Prophet ﷺ, no new prophet can appear. He is the finality of prophets. And this is the meaning of Khatmun Nabuwa. How do they violate this and uh, negate this? By claiming that uh, what they call Zilli Prophet. What does a Zilli Prophet mean? A shadow Prophet appears. They say the real Prophet is the Prophet but the, the current Prophet is a shadow. All these concepts are falsified and contradict Al-Aqlu wa Naqlu. What do I mean by Al-Aqlu wa Naqlu? The rational faculty and the texts of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. So this is with regard to what Khatmun Nabuwa means and entails. The second part, what I wanted to touch upon. And remember, write down your questions or have your questions prepared for any one of these segments. So if you have a question regarding the first segment, write down your question or at the end of the lecture, place your hand up and inshallah I will attempt to answer your question. The second segment is a short history of claimants of being Mahdi. So you have claimants of prophethood, but then you have claimants of Mahdism. You see, there are levels of a messianic complex. The messianic complex is an actual mental illness that uh, psychiatrists recognize. It's a real mental illness. It can start from claims of being a messiah, but because people have seen the reaction to Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Qadiani, they would want to be more careful. So they move on to Mahdism. And then from Mahdism, if they cannot claim Mahdism, they would, will claim Mujaddidism. These are the three stages. Mahdism is the second stage. Mujaddidism, meaning claiming you're a Mujaddid, is not as bad as claiming that you are Al-Mahdi. But even Mujaddidism is never manufactured and engineered. You cannot engineer being a Mujaddid. Meaning in today's day and age with social media, a person, people think they can manufacture a personality for social media. But, مَنْ أَرْضَ النَّاسَ بِسَخَطِ اللَّهِ يُوَكِّلُهُ اللَّهُ إِلَى النَّاسِ Whoever tries pleasing people with the anger of Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will leave him to the people. So the, um, uh, the person should never try to please people, he should attempt to please Allah. مَنْ أَرْضَ اللَّهِ بِسَخَطِ النَّاسِ كَفَاهُ اللَّهُ مَعُونَةَ النَّاسِ That whoever pleases Allah with the anger of the people, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will suffice him regarding the people. So, the messianic complex develops from claims of prophethood to Mahdism. And Imam Muhammad bin Abdul Rasul al-Barzanji rahimallahu ta'ala, the author of al-Isha'a, li-Ashrati Sa'a, the most comprehensive uh, book on Ashratu Sa'a, uh, uh, or I would say one of the best 
composed books on Ashratu Sa'a, he mentioned some examples of a person from the Kurdish areas, a man from the Kurdish areas who had delusions of being Al-Mahdi. And then the Sultan, meaning in the Adolatul Uthmaniyya, they brought him in, they questioned him, interrogated him, and then he repented. When he repented, some of the people said secretly he still believed he was Al-Mahdi. This can be psychotic illness uh, in some cases, which has happened. There was a person here in Birmingham in 2004. He claimed to be Al-Mahdi. And then he went to Umrah. He went to Makkah al-Mukarramah. He cut his passport. And he stayed in uh, Makkah al-Mukarramah. He would perform the tawaf. And then uh, and he would hide away. And then when the uh, in the in a house in the mountains, in those days they had more mountains in Makkah al-Mukarramah. And then he would descend uh, when and perform the tawaf and then go back. The authorities caught him. And they, because he had cut his passport, they thought he was Somalian. So they sent him to Somalia. Uh, when, and then from Somalia, he swam across, he took a boat to Yemen. When he reached Yemen, I think uh, you remember the incident, uh, he reached Yemen and this... Pre- uh, yes, I remember now. He was in the, in the, Hajj, in the Hajj group. So this affirms my story, yes? So, and he went to Yemen, and then in Yemen, he was imprisoned by the Yemeni authorities, and then they found out he was British, so they issued a British passport, and he came back. I think that fixed him slightly, because he never claimed to be Al-Mahdi after that. But the dentistic personality disorder, NPD, which uh, (coughs) develops with people, especially if they reach uh, fame or <coughs> public recognition billah. so the Imam Barzanji mentions some claimants of being Al-Mahdi but you, you must have heard of a book called Kanzul Ummal in Hadith Kanzul Ummal in Hadith the author is Al-Imam Al-Muttaqi Al-Hindi Rahimallahu Ta'ala this book was initially the book was composed by Imam Jalaluddin Abdul Rahman al Sayyuti, who passed away in 911. Uh, he wrote Al Jami al Sagheer and then he was, com- he was compiling a of the Prophet and he passed away. Al Imam al Muttaqi al Hindi came and he completed the work and he named the work Al Kanzul Umar. Initially, he came from India, and in India, he had a sheikh, a guide a spiritual guide who became misguided. The spiritual guide claimed to be Al-Mahdi and garnered a large following. Al-Imam Al-Muttaqi Al-Hindi left him and this shows that a person should never blind follow even his spiritual guide. In creed, in creed, in aqaid, there is no blind faith. In creed, he left this spiritual guide, and he migrated to uh, to Makkah al-Mukarramah. In Makkah al-Mukarramah, he wrote a book in refutation of those who claim to be Al-Imam al-Mahdi, the false claimants. So this is an old phenomenon, something that was known in previous times. What occurred more recently was 
with Gohar Shahi. Gohar Shahi, if you watch some of his early videos, he was a proponent of Tasawwuf, of Sufism also. And he would claim that what you do is that you place the Naqsh, the form of Allah in your heart, you imprint it in your heart. And initially you do Dhikrullah, remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then you even abandon the outward Sharia initially. So the Salah and other things. And then finally you even abandon Dhikrullah with the tongue. So you have Dhikrullah only inside of the heart. This was his initial claims of Tasawwuf of Sufism. A bit like this man in Pakistan they have now, uh, they have another one, La, La Thani Sarkar. Yes? Meaning La Thani Sarkar. They have another one in Pakistan. He doesn't claim prophethood, but he claims a special status that there's La Thani for him. There's no second for him. These type of titles they take. So, Gohar Shai started like this and then he even visited the UK and after visiting the UK he placed some of his followers, meaning he converted some people and uh, planted seeds for a following in certain parts of the UK. He went to Manchester, to London, he even went to America and then <clears throat> he finally died in London in the late 90s. He died in London. Now, when he died, his followers said that he will be resurrected after so many days, after 40 days. And he, of course, he was not resurrected. And since that day he, he has died, he still has some following on the internet. And this is a way of uh, converting people by making them watch uh, these type of videos in order to convert them. Now, this was Al-Mahdi claimant. A Mahdi claimant. And he made additional claims also. But initially, he was a Mahdi claimant. They even claimed that the, his face, the figure of his face is on the moon. And they print, they, what they would do is A4 sheets of paper, they would print out uh, pictures of the moon. And uh, there was some coloring on the moon, meaning dark coloring. And they would say this is the face of uh, Gohar Shai on the moon. And likewise on Al Hajr al Aswad on the black stone. They said the face, the form of his face is on Al-Hajr al-Aswad, the black stone. Uh, of course, these were claims that they made without any foundations. So how would a person, a common Muslim, be able to make a distinction? Firstly, uh, I've mentioned in sufficient detail how to make a distinction between the, uh, the finality of prophethood and those false claimants of prophethood. But how does one make a distinction between claimants of Mahdism and the real Al-Imam Al-Mahdi. And this is something very important because there are even uh, people in certain Sufi cults that privately they may say that their Shaykh and guide is the Mahdi or potentially the Mahdi or his son is the Mahdi. And I've heard these things from some of them where they will point out a particular Shaykh Al-Tariqah, a Shaykh uh, guide of a Sufi order and they will say this Shaykh is potentially Al-Mahdi. Or they will say his son or his progeny will potentially be Al-Mahdi. How does one safeguard himself from this? Uh, the way of safeguard third segment is by knowing that the real Mahdi, Al-Imam Al-Mahdi, whose name shall be Muhammad bin Abdullah, 
Firstly, he will not be a manufactured entity. He shall appear when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills organically in a sense, in a, in a series of events, a series of events that shall occur. But one of those events that shall occur before his appearance is that the Euphrates River shall dry before his appearance. And this is mentioned by Imam Muhammad bin Abdi Rasul al-Barzanji. This falsifies the claims of those who every year make predictions that Imam al-Mahdi shall appear this year or he shall appear in the Hajj. This is a false claim because the year and the time when Imam al-Mahdi radiallahu anhu shall appear, firstly the Euphrates River prior to his appearance shall dry and once it dries, a great war shall ensue. I've I have covered this in great detail in other lectures. But additional to this, an earthquake shall occur in the town of Harasta, which is near Damascus. The epicenter shall be Harasta. And from the earthquake, the wall of al al Umawi, the western wall of al al Umawi, shall collapse. This is one of the signs of the appearance of Imam al-Mahdi. A third sign is the tyrant, the Sufyani, shall appear in Syria and rule for a year. Uh, but there are so many additional signs which are authentic, like the ruler of Syria at the time, this is in Sahih of Imam Bukhari, the ruler of Syria at that time shall send an army into Al-Madinatul Munawwara, similar to what Yazid did. What did Yazid do? Uh, Yazid sent a man called Muslim bin Uqba. What did he do? He went into Al-Harra, Sharqiyah, the eastern part, and he killed thousands and raped hundreds of women, meaning the army raped and pillaged, and 700 Sahaba were killed. The Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Man akhafa ahl al Madina, whoever places terror inside of the people of Al-Madinatul Munawwara, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala shall make him melt meaning with the punishment, like salt melts in water. So, this event shall occur again at the hands of the ruler of Syria at that time. An army shall go into Al-Madinatul Munawwara. When they come out of Al-Madinatul Munawwara, they shall reach an area, a quicksand area. There, is, there are quicksands near Al-Madinatul Munawwara. They will be attempting to reach Mecca Al-Mukarramah. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall will that the quicksand swallows them up. And once they are swallowed, Nu'aym bin Hamad in Al-Fitan mentions one messenger shall go back to Al-Mahdi to inform him that they, their army was swallowed. And one messenger shall go to a Sufyani to inform him that the army was swallowed. This is a clear sign of Al-Imam Al-Mahdi. An additional sign to that is that the, a caller shall call out, and this is mentioned in the Musannaf, of, in the Musannaf of Ibn Abi Shaybah, that a caller shall call out the name of shall call out his name. Of course, there are other signs that he shall be from the Ashraf, from the progeny of the Prophet ﷺ, from the lineage of Sayyidah Fatima radiallahu anha. So, if a person is familiar with these signs, they can never be convinced by a claimant like Gohar Shahi or Mirza Ghulam Ahmed Qadiani. Now what Mirza Ghulam did 
when these hadith narrations were presented, one narration states that Isa bin Maryam السلام, shall descend in the eastern minaret of Damascus, the white eastern minaret. If Al Jami al Umawi has a white minaret, that white minaret is the minaret in which Al Imam Abu Hamid al Ghazali wrote some parts of Ihya al-Lumiddin. That minaret, many scholars say, is the minaret in which, at which uh, Isa shall descend. It is in the eastern part of Damascus. So, what did Mirza Ghulam Ahmad uh, say regarding this? He said, eastern part of Damascus means the east of Damascus. If you draw a line east from Damascus, you reach India, and you reach Punjab, and you reach Qadian. So this was the distortion he did. And then what did he do? He had a minaret constructed in Qadian. Today, if you, you go onto YouTube and you watch their videos, you will find that they have a minaret constructed in the village of Qadian. And they are protected, by the way. The Qadiani sect is protected by the Israeli government. They are protected by the Indian government. They are not protected as a minority. They are protected as a political tool. So when Moody, Moody went to Israel, occupied Palestine, the first Indian president to do so. When he went, the delegation, the representative of the Muslims, according to them, was whom? No less than a, an adherent of the Qadiani faith. I mean, what they call the Ahmadiyya movement. Why? Because the Daudi, uh, the uh, Babi faith, there's a, another false religion called the Babis, they are protected by the Israeli occupiers. Likewise, the Qadiyaniya, in order to undermine mainstream Muslims. So, these were the types of distortions Mirza Ghulam Ahmad made to the text. But this moves me to the third seg- segment of my lecture. The third segment of my lecture is something which I studied for nearly a decade now. What is that? Why are people convinced by such claims? Meaning after knowing rational and textual proofs, how can a person be convinced? There are obvious reasons like money, that some some people their faith can be bought out. So money is offered and they adopt a faith. Like many people do, what they do is when they want a British uh, visa or a passport, they say we were victimized in Pakistan for being Qadiani. They adopt the ah- uh, Ahmadi religion, uh, so-called Ahmadi religion, Qadiani religion. And when they adopt this, they abandon their religion for a worldly gain. These are obvious reasons. So this means people have a weak faith. But there is also the aspect which is overlooked especially by Sufi circles, is the aspect of cult mind control. Now some people they will say this thing uh, regarding cult mind control, it is the domain of non-Muslim psychiatrists and therefore has no basis in Islam. The answer is this is false. Firstly, Islam placed so many principles of psychiatry. For instance, Ibn Sina, or I would say Muslims, Muslims placed so many principles of psychiatry. Ibn Sina, if you read his works on psychology, there is an incident that occurred with him that a certain prince uh, thought he was a goat. 
a mental illness. This happens. Uh, in, uh, it's a mental health issue. There was a man I heard of who thought he was a tiger. Children may laugh at this, but it has serious consequences on the family and whatnot. When the young man thought he was a goat, Ibn Sina brought cabbage and lettuce, and so much lettuce that he made the young man eat lettuce and eat lettuce, eat lettuce until he was cured. Meaning he had a method in tackling that psychological problem. The claimant of Mahdism or the claimant of prophethood and in some cases the claimant of being a mujaddid and even in other cases even the some less honorific title will always suffer from some form of megalomania a psychosis a problem in which the person may have charisma and that charisma affects the followers when that charisma affects the followers the followers then will close their mind to any criticism of the leader. For instance, recently in my debate, my own students criticized me for certain things. Does this mean I ostracize my students? Meaning, when in the debate there were certain points they may have disagreed with, even on the online comments, my own direct students were saying this was wrong, Sheikh was wrong to do this or say this. Is this permissible in Islam? If the Shaykh is wrong, he is wrong. Why? Because the, the source of guidance is what? Quran and Sunnah and Ijma'ah. Quran, Sunnah, Ijma'ah. Meaning the Wahhabis will say Quran and Sunnah. What makes the difference with us? Ijma'ah. Quran, Sunnah and Ijma'ah. And then also Aql. Also Aql, the intellect. So if my students object to me, I say Ahlan wa Sahlan. Welcome. Why? You can correct me with Qur'an, you can correct me with Sunnah, and you can correct me with Ijma' and you can correct me with Aql. Why? Because people like us are what? Not Ma'asum. We have sins. We, we have weaknesses. So in fact, I would encourage students to, to rectify me firstly in private. And if I do not change, then refute me in public. Alhamdulillah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed someone around you who can rectify you. Yes? So this is the case with every common Muslim. And even the claimants of being Sufi guides today, especially in the UK. So, if the likes of Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when he stood up on the mimbar and he said to the people, lower the dowries, lower the dowry, the mahr, the woman stood up. And she said, she recited the verse of the Qur'an which gives them the right to high dairies. Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anh said what? Asab al-mar'atu wa akhta'a Umar. The woman is correct and Umar is wrong. Oh, when Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu anh, he had a new piece of clothing. And they said, oh Umar, where did you get this clothing from? They asked him in front of people. They took him to account. And Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anh said, my son Abdullah gave me this garment. And he accounted, he, he presented his case. So what happens is that blind conformity is something that I have been calling against for a long time. Blind conformity. 
Blind conformity in aqidah is haram. In aqidah. Uh, when we say we do taqlid of Imam Abu Hanifa rahimullah, that is in juziyat of fiqh, of jurisprudence, which Imam Zahid al-Kawthri rahimullah ta'ala says is only 20% of the differences between the four schools. So if someone says, I, I, I know there are four fard of wudu because Imam Abu Hanifa said so, this is fine. But you do not say, I believe in Allah because uh, Imam Abu Hanifa said so. No, you believe in Allah because you, have, you believe in the Qur'an, you believe in the Prophet So there is no blind conformity in Iman, there is no blind conformity in creed. Likewise, there is no blind conformity in issues of common sense. There is no uh, blind conformity where the leader violates Sharia. The leader violates Sharia, if the leader violates Sharia, the students have every right to correct with good manners, correct the teacher initially, correct him, that say that this contradicts Al-Quranul Kareem or it contradicts the Sunnah of the Messenger of Allah But what happens is that when the leader of a group violates Sharia or violates Aqeedah, the followers fall into cognitive dissonance. That's the modern term. Cognitive dissonance is when people know there is a pink a big elephant in the room and no one is pointing out the big pink elephant in the room. For instance, I've heard of from minor cases to big minor case, there are certain claimants of Sufism today who will wash their feet and then they will give the water of their washed feet to their murids and the murids will drink the water. This is from a lower level, meaning it doesn't, in terms of Sharia, Okay, they can say it's not clearly prohibited in the Qur'an. But there is something called aql. But then from the top level, top level, where the, the guide will violate the sharia by doing things which are not permitted in the sharia. And then above that is violating aqidah, creed. So blind conformity is one of the main reasons why these people have large followings this is an important issue how do we resolve the issue i will cover this now finally before moving on to questions and answers how do we resolve this issue not only in the uk but throughout pakistan and india throughout uh, all these countries where people will gain a large following for superstitious behavior or those things which have no basis in the Quran, the Sunnah and Ijma'ah. The answer is going back to what Al-Imam Sunusi rahimallahu ta'ala refers to in his creed that people need to know ahkam aqliya, the rational judgments. In fact, Al-Imam Al-Juwaini rahimallahu ta'ala states that anyone who does not know al-ahkam al-aqliya, the rational judgments, la aqla lahu. There is no aql for him, no intellect. If someone has no intellect, you cannot dialogue with them. This is why the followers of Gohar Shahi, or the followers even in Sufi cults, they will have closed minds. You will not be, if you recite a verse of the Quran or the Hadith, it will not affect them. I'll give you a simple example. Some of them denigrate ulama. They denigrate ulama. They will say, what do these mulvis know? 
But they will not mention that one of the greatest Sufi masters, Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali, Rahimallah Ta'ala said that an alim learning one mas'ala, one mas'ala gains the reward of an abid worshipping all night. This is a fact. Okay, this means an alim who acts on his knowledge, agreed. We are not discussing ulama who do not act on their ilm. But even regarding those ulama who do not act on their ilm, Al-Imam Abu Hamid al-Ghazali says they are like a candle that burns itself, but it still benefits people around it. Meaning at least they give some benefit. But an alim who acts on his knowledge, this is regarding al-ulama al-amilun, those who act on their knowledge, they have a higher status than any abid. Why? When they memorize a verse of the Qur'an, when they memorize the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ and Masail Fiqhiyah, they attain the, the reward of Qiyamul Layl from learning these things. When they fall asleep, the, the sleep of an alim who acts on his knowledge is what? That the reward is written down for them. So this is the status of knowledge. But what do the followers in these groups do? They denigrate knowledge. So they will say knowledge makes you arrogant. Knowledge does not make you arrogant. If someone becomes arrogant, they become arrogant because of their own corrupt soul. Some of them will say that shaitan was the most knowledgeable. This is incorrect. Shaitan was the biggest abid but the biggest jahil. This is something people do not point out. He was not the biggest alim amongst the angels. He was the biggest abid. He would only worship the most. What shows that he wasn't an alim? When he said, Ana khayrun minhu, I am better than him, this was a mistake in knowledge. Because Adam was made from clay. He was made from fire, uh, shaitan. Shaitan thought that fire ascends and clay goes downwards. So he, he, he used his mind, but he was a jahil, he was ignorant. Because clay, what happens when you place seeds in clay? Life comes out. What happens with fire? Fire burns everything. So clay had a superiority over fire. But because shaitan was only an abid and not an alim, he was, he was kicked out of paradise. But these misguided Sufi groups will tell you that no, the ulama, even shaitan had ilm. But this is incorrect. Shaitan was the biggest abid, not the biggest alim. Additional to that, what does a Sheikh Abdul Qadir al-Jilani, Quddis al Aziz state? I studied knowledge until I became a qutub. So a student of knowledge, if the hadith says, the angels place out their wings underneath his feet. And the alim, the, the fish pray for him in the seas. Why are they misguiding their followers and turning them away from the Quran and the sunnah and the, the books of knowledge? Knowledge is the way that Al-Imam Shafi'i rahimullah ta'ala, he, he was told by his teacher that knowledge is a light. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places that light not into the heart of a sinner, meaning the, the light of knowledge. So the closed-mindedness we find in certain groups is what leads to these type of people having a big following. If the people were educated, and told that there is no blind conformity to one individual. This is why we always resort to ijma. Because today if 
وَالْعِيَاذُ بِاللَّهِ Allah safeguard us. But if I say something wrong and people who blind follow me, blindly follow what I am saying, then they will also be misguided. They should always resort back to ijma'. What did the ijma' of the ulama have? What did the ulama all agree upon? What was the consensus? Not resorting your religion to one man in this day and age. That your religion does not revolve around one man in this day and age. You cannot blindly follow one individual. So this is why, and of course there are many other reasons. There are of course ecstatic states that people are placed into where they mistaken that for spirituality. There are many other psychological reasons which go beyond the scope of this lecture. There are uh, many books you can read on this, like the book The Sufi Lighthouse. The Sufi Lighthouse is a book written by a Sufi warning people regarding these type of people. He bases the book on Kashful Mahjub. Kashful Mahjub. So these are the reasons why people end up becoming misguided. One of the many reasons we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to safeguard us from tribulations, the fitan. مَا ظَهْرَ مِنْهَا وَمَا بطن. What has appeared and what is hidden. And he keeps us on the aqeedah, the belief of Ahl sunnah wal jama'ah. And he safeguards us from charlatans. Whether those charlatans are people, uh, some people, someone was telling me today that they joined a group that would read Dala'ilul Khairat uh, to such an extent that the leader uh, convinced the people in the group to sell their homes when they sell their homes to give the money to him. From this low level to a high level of the charlatans like Mirza Ghulam Ahmad and Gohar Shai, the only way you can safeguard yourself is by teaching your children Quran, Sunnah, the books of the ulama, the, uh, the books of the fuqaha, the Hanafi school, the Shafi'i school, the Hanbali school, the Maliki school, the Ash'ari and Maturidi creed, teaching them correct creed. By learning the books of knowledge, we can safeguard our children and telling them that there is no blind conformity in Iman, in faith. There is no blind conformity. Blind conformity to living individuals. We follow Sayyiduna Muhammad and not the people who are living today individually. We follow the consensus of the Ummah. And if someone slips up, your teacher slips up, then politely correct him in private. And inshallah, if he is sincere, he will retract. Meaning if he makes a mistake, point out his mistake from Quran, Sunnah, Ijma'ah, the teacher should never say to the student that who are you to correct me? This should never be said. If he believes the student is wrong, he should sit him down and demonstrate to him how he is incorrect in his understanding. This is if it relates to major issues. Not minor issues, major issues. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to enable us to keep an open mind and safeguard our iman. Aqulu qawli adha wa astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa atubu ilayh. Inshallah we will open up for questions and answers. Do they have the same ruling as those who follow Mirza Ghulam Ahmad Qadian? The answer is, if the individual only claims to be al-Mahdi, then they will be dal mudil, misguided. But we would not declare them as kafir. But if the person claims to be Isa salam and claims to be the Messiah, then they commit kufr disbelief. If there are any questions from the audience, you can place your hands up and 
and fire away inshallah. I have a question. Will there be a Khalifa uh, established before Imam Mahdi? The question is, will there be a Khilafah established before Imam Mahdi? The hadith states that Sayyidina Ibn Hawala radiallahu anhu said the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam placed his hand on him, on his head. Said, Yabna Hawala, O Ibn Hawala, Ida ra'ayta al-khilafata, when you see the khilafa, tanzilu bayt al-maqtis, descend into bayt al-maqtis, then wait for what al-zalazil earthquakes, wal-balabil, tribulations. So this means the khilafa will be re-established in, in, in bayt al-maqtis. It will be re-established. Many of the scholars are of the opinion it will be re-established by the group that shall appear from Khurasan, and establish the banners in Al-Qutu Sharif. So today people ask, is this group the black banners? Is that group the black banners? The answer is simple. The group of the black banners is only the group that will retake Al-Qutu Sharif. Prior to that, it is all claims. Until you don't retake Al-Qutu Sharif, you cannot make the claim of being the black banners. Likewise, the one hadith states that the black group of the black banners should be formed like the winter cloud quickly before Imam al-Mahdi. So this means the group should be reformed, I mean formed quickly, very quickly. Um, so, um, I heard a few scholars say that the beginning of the major signs of Imam Mahdi is that a fitna will occur in Sham that will begin with the playing of boys and that some Syrian scholars as a fitna, as a graffiti and a lot of it. So this uh, question is relating to a hadith in Nu'aym bin Hamad's fitan, Kitab al-Fitan. There is a hadith from Sa'id ibn Musayyib, Sayyidu Tabi'in, that there shall be a fitna in Sham. Greater Syria, the Levant, and it shall start like the play of children, and it shall last 12 years, and in another narration it shall last 18 years, and at the end of the tribulation the Euphrates river shall dry, and when the Euphrates river shall dry a mountain of gold shall appear. And the question is, is this tribulation the current fitna to Sham? The current fitna started in a town, Duma, I think this town of Duma or Dar'a, one of the two, where children drew graffiti on the wall. And when they drew graffiti on the wall against the regime, the secret police took in one of the children and imprisoned him and killed him. Then the mufti of the city went and placed his imama, his imama, his head wrap in front of the police officer in order to get justice. They took in the Mufti and tortured him and killed him also. Then the protests started. So the scholars say Lu'batu Sibyan, playing of the children is the graffiti on the wall. Those scholars who take this position say that the current fitna in Sham is that fitna because the hadith states when it ignite when it when it stops in one place it shall reignite in another place, which is happening, meaning it was stopping and now Turkey entered Syria. So they say this fitna shall carry on for 12 years or 18 years. Now if it is 12 years, 
then by the year 2022 or 23 the Euphrates River shall dry and if it is 18 years then 29 or 30 the Euphrates River shall dry but what should be our stance regarding this our stance should be that when the sign occurs there should be no doubt that the sign has occurred in the meantime we just increase in ibadah and avoid sins increase in worship and avoid sins the sign can happen 50 years from now it can happen 100 years from now it can happen 500 years from now but the mawqif the stance of the believer is when tribulations occur which many are occurring so many are occurring which I have covered extensively in my end of times lectures that the believer increases his iman and strengthens his iman and increases his worship so in this area for instance the young people start praying in Fajr Salah in the masjid so uh, how many of you are local place your hands up if you are local the local people make intention inshallah that you will start praying at least which prayer Fajr prayer. Say inshallah. Yes, this is how you prepare for the tribulations. Al Imam al Mahdi or non Arab. Al Imam al Mahdi will be from Ahlul Madina, will be an Arab. So some people they think he will be a Turk or an Indian. Uh, this is incorrect. He should be an Arab born in Al Madina Tul Manawara from the Ashraf. So technically, all Sayyids are Arabs. Technically, all Sayyids are Arabs. Any simple uh, books on this topic which layman can, layman can read? So, uh, the book Nu'aym bin Hamad's Kitab al-Fitan has been translated into English. That book is available now in English. Uh, also, Ibn Kathir's work is a good book, but the problem with the book is that there is no detail and commentary. There is no detail and commentary. Uh, the best book to get then is Al-Imam Yusuf al-Nabahani's small book, uh, which was translated by a Sayyid uh, Arfan Shah. He's a Sayyid from up north. He translated Al-Imam Yusuf al-Nabahani's book, The Signs Before the End of Times. This book is available, commonly available. How do you buy the book? Go on Google and type the name in, you'll find the book. People even ask questions like, how do we buy the book? You go on Amazon, you'll find the book. Uh, what's the best advice you can give as we draw near to the end of times? The best advice is that your creed, your iman, protect your iman. Do not change your creed to other, uh, stick to the creed of Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah. Secondly, increase in knowledge in what I mentioned that do not have blind faith. Sunnah first, Quran and Sunnah, and then the aqwal of the ulama, the past. And the third is increase your ibadah and avoid sins. How do you increase your ibadah? Start praying Fajr Salah in the Jama'ah and avoid sins, avoid sinning, drinking alcohol, zina, all these different types of sins. Abandon those sins, inshallah. These are the three best steps. There are other things as well, but they go beyond the scope of this lecture. One Sudan. When the Ghanaians last year in Pakistan tried to amend the constitution regarding the overtaking ceremony, what was the actual amendment they were trying to introduce and the technical difference in the wording, etc.? 
And the amendment to which article? The oath taking ceremony last year when it all kicked off in Pakistan. I'm totally unfamiliar with the issue. But I think Shah Sab will didn't know. So, what's the best method of rectifying an alim? Is of course visiting the alim and giving him nasiha in person. This is the best method. Um, could you briefly explain the timeline of the coming of George Majuj, the John, and the coming of So the timeline is that the Isha Salah is what time? So we'll. This is the last. No problem. No problem, So the timeline is that the Euphrates River shall dry. After the Euphrates River shall die, dry, a mountain of gold shall appear. From that mountain of gold, now some people have attempted to interpret the mountain of gold as being petrol, but this is incorrect because there are other hadiths prophesizing the appearance of petrol. It will be a literal mountain of gold. From the mountain of gold appearing, a war shall ensue. From the outcome of the war, a leader shall appear who shall be Sufyani. Sufyani shall rule for one year, after which Al-Imam al-Mahdi shall appear. And I've mentioned some of the signs before Al-Imam al-Mahdi already. When Al-Imam al-Mahdi appears, he shall rule for a number of years until he finally conquers Constantinople and Rome, the city of Rome, and India. Ghazwatul Hind will occur at that time. Then, at seven months later, a Dajjal shall appear. Seven months later, after Armageddon, in a, a post-apocalyptic world, meaning the world as we know it will be different. After Ad-Dajjal, roams the earth for 40 days, Sayyiduna Isa shall appear and descend in grand, at the Grand Main Masjid. He shall lead the Muslims to Jerusalem and kill Ad-Dajjal. Then he will be told by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that the Ya'juj and Ma'juj have been released. So he shall ascend the mountain Atur, and once he has ascended the mountain Tur, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send down a virus on Ya'juj and Ma'juj. So these viruses are not something new. Coronavirus, a type of virus for Ya'juj and Ma'juj shall come. They shall not have the vaccine and they shall all die. After the killing of Ya'juj and Ma'juj, and there are numerous questions regarding this, but uh, we have no time for detail. But what will happen? Isa al-Islam will rule and then pass away and shall be buried in Al-Madinatul Munawwara. Then additional rulers shall come like Al-Qahtani and other rulers. After these rulers, two things shall happen. One is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall make the sun rise from the west. The night before that event occurs, this will be the last night for repentance, for tawbah. People should, should repent before that. If they do not, then their repentance after that night shall never be accepted.
Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall release Dabatul Ard, a creature that shall stamp the foreheads of the believers and the disbelievers. Then the, the heads of the believers shall be, the forehead shall be stamped and the disbelief, the nose shall be stamped. And then after Dabatul Ard, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shall send a wind that will take the souls of all the believers. After which will occur Yawm Al-Qiyamah. So this is the tartib of the order of events. Give do you know when uh, Imam Mahdi appears, or should you know the believers living in the UK? What should they do? Uh, firstly, until the sign of the Euphrates does not occur, everyone remain where you are. <laughs> yes, in the UK, we have freedom of religion. We have great rights in this country. Uh, we can practice our religion. Currently, the state of the Muslim world is such that if you dress the way you are dressed, in some parts of the Muslim world, they would arrest you. Yes? Likewise, if you were attending majalis like this, they would arrest you. But we have great freedom here. So you remain in the UK. Once the Euphrates River dries, the wars will be so immense that if we survive after that, then you can come and ask me the question. It states by a certain Sufi called by Mamendi that uh, if you're following a spiritual path, whether you're a Hindu, Buddhist, Christian or Jew, or Muslim, you're people of gender. Second page 20 or 22, secret and secret secrets. That's number one. Same book states that the year 2000 shall not come to pass. This was written in the seventh, the 2000 was far away, 30 years from then. That Mamendi needs to be on the earth. And then there's a lot of others discrepancies, so if you can please read that book, because these cults and Sufi groups, we are letting them in our massages, our big masks of Sunni people, to penetrate our youth and misguide them to a bridge of Imam Mani. So I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Um, remember, after Bi'athatul Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sending of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, any other religion that claims that it is untruth is falsehood. Meaning, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْكِتَابِ وَالْمُشْرِكِينَ And surely those who disbelieve from who? Ahlul kitab and polytheists. Meaning kuffar are two groups. Mushrikeen and Ahlul kitab. The only religion is religion of Islam. How do we know the distinction? The belief in Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Inshallah we will close now for dua and then adhan inshallah.